This morning's scripture, uh, the first one comes from Isaiah 55, starting with verse 8 and verse 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And the second reading is from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The shooting in uh, Texas and the killing of 19 children and two teachers a storm that has impacted so many in this area and had killed 11 people, many without power in Ottawa for weeks and even still to this past week. The Ukraine war, COVID, depression, and other mental health issues. When we can't make, it, make sense of it all, when we can't understand what's going on, we turn to the phrase, God moves in mysterious ways, or God works in mysterious ways. And it's our attempt of making sense of this world, of making sense of tragedies and events that rocks us to our core, because it seems too tragic, too unfair, and just not right. And this phrase comes from a hymn written by a man named William Cowper, who was a friend of John Newton in 1773. John Newton and William Cowper were friends, and they wrote many hymns together. And one of the famous hymns from John Newton is Amazing Grace, that many of us know. And the phrase we get, God moves in mysterious ways, comes from the song called Light Shining in the Darkness by Cowper. And the first line of this hymn goes like this. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform, he plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. And I tried looking up the Bible verse to see where we got this phrase, God moves in mysterious way, and I couldn't find the passage. The closest passage is the verse that was quoted today, that, or that was read today in Isaiah, which goes like this, for my thoughts are your thoughts, or for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. God's ways are higher, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So you can see why people turn to this passage or quote this passage to talk about the mysterious ways of God. However, if you read this passage written within its context, we see that this is not exactly what this passage is saying. 
So look with me to the verse right before the passage that was read, Isaiah 55, verse 7. It says, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Here we see the words, ways and thoughts. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Isaiah is calling the wicked to turn from their ways and their thoughts to that of God's ways and thoughts. It's a call to repentance and an invitation to live in the ways and thoughts of God. And what Isaiah is doing, he's contrasting the difference between the human ways and thoughts and that of God's ways and thoughts. Not because God's ways and thoughts are unknowable, though we know we can't know all of God's ways and thoughts, but that God has revealed his ways and thoughts to us so that we can turn to the Lord. So when Isaiah says God's ways are higher and his thoughts are higher than ours, it is more about the willingness and the ability for God to forgive us as we turn to him than the mysterious ways of God that are unknowable. And as some of you may know, we've been in a series called Awestruck, and since it's Easter, and we're looking at the mysteries of God, of our faith, and of our faith, not from a perspective of a riddle or a puzzle to be solved, but it's the revealed mysteries of God that, that has been revealed to us. And when we are confronted with God's ways and thoughts, we turn and respond in worship, awe, and wonder. That the ways and thoughts of God that reveal to us who he is and what his kingdom is about is, is what we respond to. And this is what's happening here with Paul in our Romans passage. Paul, having, after having reflected on the ways of God and, and the mysteries of God, he responds with this praise and worship. He says, oh, the depth, all the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Here, Paul, similar to Isaiah, mentions the thoughts and ways of God. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Again, this is God's thoughts. And how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out, that is, his ways. So what caused Paul to respond in such worship and wonder? Paul here is writing to the Church of Rome because of his concern for the division that was happening within the Church of Rome. This division had a lot to do with the Jewish and the Gentile Christians that were there. And because he's never been to the Church of Rome, uh, but recognized the importance of where Rome was, remember, all roads lead to Rome, he wanted to explain why they should be united. And so Paul writes about the history of salvation and the gospel as the reason for why they are to be one. This is part of the mystery of God that Paul is explaining and writing about, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is bringing the promises that God had made to Abraham way back and to his descendants through the nation of Israel 
to the time of Jesus, not so that the people of Israel can only be blessed, but that all people and, in fact, all creation will be blessed and united in Christ. This was the mystery of God we looked at a few weeks ago. And here, where the Gentiles are now part of the promises and blessings of God, and not just for the Jews. The Jews are boasting and fighting for their right to keep their Jewish heritage and customs, and the Gentiles were boasting about their freedom from the law and feeling maybe a little too good about themselves. You know, you Israelites, you just missed it. You didn't believe. The Messiah you were waiting for, didn't you get that that was Jesus? You know, shaking, maybe shaking their heads at the Jewish folks who should have known better but didn't. And here Paul writes and says to both the Gentiles and the Jews, Look, God's ways and thoughts are not like yours. He isn't picking one over the other because of how good you are or because one nation deserved them more than the other. God is a God of love and have always wanted all nations to come and worship him. To the point that while even we were sinners, when none of us wanted to follow God or turn to him, God made a way. This is why Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Unlike us who would punish, who would abandon if we were unfaithful, God in his faithfulness and unfailing love made a way for all people to come to him through Jesus. Again, this is why Paul writes in Romans eleven fifteen: for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Paul writes here that if the rejection and the disobedience of the Israelites brought about Jesus, the Savior of the world, to the Gentiles, how much more would their acceptance of Christ be? Paul is arguing that God has not abandoned his promise to his Jewish, Jewish people, but rather, if God would save the Gentiles through the disobedience of Israel, how much more could God do if they were obedient? His answer is resurrection, life from the dead. William Cowper struggled all his life with depression and tried to attempt suicide multiple times to the point that he ended up in an insane asylum. And while he was there, he read from the book of Romans and came to faith. He would go from that time on to write this poem called Light Shining Out of the Darkness, and where, he, where we get that famous line, God moves in mysterious ways. And he would, in fact, struggle with depression all throughout his life. It wasn't that as soon as he became a Christian, now all his problems were gone. And in fact, he even attempted to take his life even after he wrote this poem. It was because of such uh, hardship and struggle that he had with mental health. You know, recently I had a conversation with one of my children about suicide. And, and, how, and she, asked, she or he asked me the question <laughs> that if you're a Christian and you commit suicide, do you go to hell? And I've heard this question growing up when I was a kid and as a teenager. And I'm like, are people still asking this question? And, and, and the answer that she got from her teacher at school, not at church, was that they do. They go to hell. I'm like, no. 
You do not go to hell just because you committed suicide and you're a Christian. And she asked, why? Because, well, imagine you were angry with someone and you went to sleep and you forgot to ask for forgiveness. Would God then say, well, you didn't ask for forgiveness for your sin of being angry at someone, so now you're not going to be with them? God is not a God of keeping records of our wrongdoings. He's not ready to pounce on us as soon as we make a mistake. He's a loving Father whose heart breaks when we sin. He's a loving parent who knows that when we have mental health issues, when we're depressed, when we do things that we don't mean to, that He is ready to forgive. And just because we didn't say sorry for a particular sin doesn't mean that he holds that against us. We are not saved by the amount of repentance that we do. It's not that we have to repent for every single sin, but rather that it is in relationship with Jesus that we are saved. We're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus, not the faithfulness of ourselves, even our ability ability to say sorry. So for any of you who are struggling with mental health, and I know it's a big issue, especially during COVID, I want to say that you are loved by God, that you are valuable and worthy, and Christ came to die for you. And we want you to reach out. If you need help, please do speak to a loved one or to a professional. To any one of us, we are here for you. We're not people who live under the law and making sure we are good enough, but rather we live as free people under the Spirit, where we live and walk by the Spirit. We live under the protection of the Holy Spirit and His grace, so that we're not living focused on what sin next that we need to conquer or ask for forgiveness for, but rather we are free to live for God and for others. This is why the writer of Isaiah says God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. We can't imagine why God would accept us and love us when we keep failing him. In Isaiah, the Israelites have over and over and over again have broken their, uh, their commitment to God and turned after other gods. And from it, we could say, why would you forgive them? Again? Yet, This is why Paul marvels at the ways of God who made a way through the disobedience of Israel to bring all nations back to God. He is pondering that question. If God is able to to do that with our disobedience and unfaithfulness, how much more can God do with our obedience and faithfulness? It's almost as if Paul's mind was blown by contemplating the ways of God, that God would forgive us, that God's ways really aren't our ways. So that's why he responds with this, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out, that we can turn to God because his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher. God does move in mysterious ways, but not in the way we use that phrase when we kind of throw up our hands and say, we don't know why this is happening, but rather God moves in mysterious ways in that he has revealed to us his ways 
and His thoughts. We can know God's ways and His thoughts. And what are, what are they? Well, God's ways are that He chose a very small nation called Israel. God's ways are through faith and love. God's ways are through an Israel who was disobedient. God is a God of justice. He cares for the poor. This God is revealed to us in Jesus, a son of a carpenter, born to a lowly Mary from a small town in a no place called Nazareth. Jesus, as the Son of God, reveals to us the ways of God, where we turn the other cheek, where we love our enemies and pray for them, where the downtrodden and the oppressed have a place of honor, where the weak is made strong, where the cross, a form of capital punishment and torture, becomes the very way of salvation, where death leads to resurrection, where holiness is measured in a person and in love and in relationship and not in rule-keeping. All of this is not only for the Jews, but for all people of every tribe and tongue where all will worship Jesus, who is the fulfillment of God's plan from the beginning. This is the mystery of God revealed to us in Christ, that in him and through him all things under heaven and on earth will praise and glorify Jesus because we will all be united and reconciled to him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that God works in mysterious ways, but not in that we do not know what he's up to, but we have been given his ways and his thoughts. We do know what he is up to. It is to follow him to the cross, to walk in the way of love, to care for the widow and the orphan, to love our enemies and to forgive them, to bring the kingdom of God on earth as we walk and live with the Holy Spirit who is with us. That is why we are called to worship him. That is why we gather every Sunday as the people of God to testify that God moves and works in our lives. This is why we respond to this God in awe and worship and wonder because his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. And some of you may know that today is Pentecost Sunday. And it is the day that we remember the promise of the Holy Spirit that was fulfilled and he descended upon the apostles and other followers of Jesus. And I want you to respond to this mysterious God and to his invitation of his ways and his thoughts. What are his ways and his thoughts? You know, if we want to just break it down, it's simple. His ways is the way of love, to love God and love our neighbor. So simple, yet so hard. And his thoughts is that he loves us. Simple, yet so hard, and yet so beautiful. So, Holy Spirit, come fill us. We thank you for your invitation. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So thank you, Father, that now we are called your children and that we are your heirs and co-heirs. And we thank you that you have revealed to us your ways and your thoughts. And those ways and thoughts as we ponder on them are confounding. They blow us away, yet they are so attractive and 
so subversive. So we thank you that you're a God of love, that you're a God of justice, a God who invites us to be co-heirs and participants of what you are doing in this world. And so, Holy Spirit, you are already here for us, and you want us to be with you. So give us the ability to have faith, to open up space for you, to let you into our lives so, they, so that we may live as free people, as your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.